Father in heaven, I feel like we've had church already. I thank you for your spirit that is here. But I pray, Father, if possible, that you would pour out even just a little bit more of your presence, even just a little bit more of your spirit, not just here within these walls of this local sanctuary, but Father, I pray that you would touch and draw close to every single person watching online right now. Guide us, bless us as you move among us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever felt the pain of a delayed or a deferred dream? Have you ever felt that kind of pain before? A few years ago, I read this book, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, and it's a very inspiring story. If you ever want to read the book, I just want to warn you, make sure to get one of the most recent versions where they have a clean edition. This one has a little bit of some salty language in it, be forewarned. But I read this book a few years ago. It tells his story, or he tells his story, of growing up in this nightmare of an abusive home. I mean, he went through literally every kind of abuse and trial that you can imagine. It's little wonder that by the time he was in his junior year in high school, he was reading just at a third grade level. And he talks about that as a result of his prodigious cheating and ability, he was able to work himself up to about a 1.4 GPA. He felt like he had no hope for his future. A few years after that, fast forward, he was actually working for a pest control company. And one day after having a shower of cockroaches fall upon him, he decided that something ought to change in his life. He went home and he turned on the TV and he saw this documentary that was playing about the Navy SEALs. Here's what he said about it. He was so inspired. I've got the quote here. He said, the longer I watched, the more certain I became that there were answers buried in all that suffering. Answers that I needed. He said, more than once, the camera panned over the endless frothing ocean, and each time I felt pathetic. The seals were everything I wasn't. They were about pride, dignity, and the type of excellence that came from bathing in the fire and getting beat down and going back for more again and again. They were the human equivalent of the hardest, sharpest sword you could imagine. They sat out the flame. They took the pounding for as long as necessary, longer even, until they were fearless and deadly. They weren't motivated. They were driven. So he talked about that. That was the day that he decided for the first time to really and fully show up for his life. So here's what he did. The very next morning, he got up at 4.30 a.m., he literally popped in the soundtrack to the movie Rocky and he got to business as it were. He decided that he was going to be a Navy SEAL, but there was this huge and significant problem, seemingly insurmountable problem that he had, and here it was. They told him that if he was going to join the next round of SEAL training, he was going to have to lose 106 pounds in three months. That's a big deal, no pun intended. 
Not just that, but he said that his mind was kind of like a sieve. It couldn't hold anything down. Everything would just kind of pass through it. But he worked really hard and he was able to make it to the very next BUDS program. That's what they call it, basic underwater demolition seal training, the very next school, if you will. It's an audition. It's kind of like trying out for the seals. It's one of the most arduous, seemingly impossible things that any human could ever hope or wish to bear. But he was excelling. He was in it. He was at the top of his class. And somewhere along the line, though, he got a medical injury and they had to kick him out. You know, when you're in the BUDS program, in the Navy SEAL training program, they famously have a bell. Anybody heard about the bell? Yeah, if, if you quit, you drop what you're doing. This is your way of saying, I, I can't handle the heat any longer. You have to go to a, a bell and you ring it. And everybody watches you. And they see that you've quit. And David Goggins simply said, there's no way I'm quitting. If I'm going to leave this, you're going to have to get me out. And the doctor said, your body is so messed up, you're going to have to leave. So he got out on a medical discharge. So that's okay, though. I'm coming back next year. By the way, how he describes hell week in the book is so hellish, if I may, that seemingly no sane person would ever want to go through that a second time. But here he was. So no, my, my dream has been delayed for too long. I know the pain of what it is to have a deferred dream. I'm showing up a second time. And this time he got a little bit further in the BUDS program. He did a little bit better but he got another medical discharge. He had to leave. He didn't ring the bell. They forced him out. And he said, you know, that's, that's okay. I'm coming back next year. And they warned him. They said, Goggins, just so you know, you only get three tries at being a SEAL. So if you get a medical this third time or if you quit, if anything goes wrong, you're never going to be able to try again. Got it? Roger that. He tried out again. The third year, he made it as a U.S. Navy SEAL. I mean, here's the question I want to drop in your lap for a few minutes today, if I may, for those watching online. I mean, does anybody, do you, do you know the pain of a delayed or a deferred dream? I confess to you that I know that pain personally. I want to confess something to you, something I'm proud of, but... In a minute, you'll see I'm not proud of a certain part of it. Last year, I actually graduated with a Doctor of Ministry degree from Fuller Theological Seminary. Praise God. I'm really proud of that. But I started in the fall of 2010. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was really hard for me. Numerous times I felt like quitting. So many obstacles thrown in my direction that, you know, I tell people that there are tears embedded in the carpet in my office back there in the balcony. And it's true. Because on more than one occasion, there I was. I mean, I would come home at the end of a long day of serving people, of serving in this campus community. I would come, I would come home. I would check in with the wife and the, and the boys. And I would have supper and hang out for a little bit. And then I would say, um, Yvette, are you, are you good? 
the boys good, everybody good? And he asked Rodley, just go. And she knew what needed to be done. I would sneak back in here 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. And I would read and I would research and I would write and I would work in this dissertation. And on more than one occasion, I would literally be prostrate on the floor, crying, weeping like a baby. I said, God, I'm just not smart enough. God, I just can't do it. The, the requirements are just too hard there. I tell people there's tears embedded into the carpet. And the question is, does anybody know the pain of a delayed or a deferred dream? Maybe for some of you, it's kind of like the poet here, Langston Hughes. Let me quote this poem to you. He says, what happens to a dream deferred? Some of you know this poem titled Harlem. He says, does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. And then rhetorically, hold it there on the screen for just a moment. Rhetorically, he asked the question that I think so many of us that have had a delayed dream understand. He says, or does it explode? In other words, sometimes you have a dream within you that you've been delaying for so long, that you've been holding on to for so long. Sometimes it just feels like if that does not happen, I will explode. I want to share with you something that may not sound like good news and may even sound a little bit strange. The truth is that sometimes God delays our dream. Did you know that? In fact, I want to hang out with you for a few minutes today and I want to talk to you about why God allows delays in our life to happen. So I want to examine that question, but not just that question. I want us to look at together what it is that God wants us to do while we are in that season of delay. Are you with me? So maybe for some of you, if you've been in the season of delay, you're going to have to pay a lot of attention today. So before we look at these principles, I want to just set the table for you, if I may. Now, the last time I was with you on Sabbath morning, this was actually from my home, broadcast as it were, from my living room, so that's what my living room actually looks like, I talked to you about the topic of the subtle strategy of the enemy to stop you. Some of you may remember that story, if not, you can catch up on the website, but we examined the story in Numbers chapter 14 about God's dream. It was God's dream to take these people, the Israelites, and take them to this land of promise. Because according to Exodus chapter 19, he said, look, I, I want to bring in these people, and they are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And according to Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6, God's goal and God's dream is that they would be a light to all the nations around them. In other words, God was wanting, yearning, his dream is, is that his people would be missionaries to the entire planet, to be a blessing to the entire planet. So he brings them to the border of Canaan. You guys know the story. These 12 spies are sent out and 40 days later they come back and two of them give a good report, Joshua and Caleb, but 10 of them 
First of all, they affirmed what God had said. They said, yes, indeed, it is a land flowing with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. But they said, there's, there's this huge problem, don't you see? There's giants in the land, and we were as grasshoppers in their sight. What happened? They didn't have enough faith. God needed to have a people that were so full of faith that they could face giants. But there, when they crossed over into the border of Canaan, all of a sudden they said, No, these giants, I don't think God is going to be with us that much to be able to face these kind of giants. I mean, after all, have you guys seen the height of them? In fact, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19, it, it characterizes their thought like this. It says, they could not enter in because of unbelief. In other words, it wasn't just that they did not want to go in. And in the story, they said, no way, no how, we're not going there. But all of a sudden, notice what the Bible says. They could not, not just that they would not, but now they could not. Why? Because they had disqualified themselves because of their lack of faith. So here's the question. What does God do now when he has his people that do not have the requisite faith necessary to face giant? What does God do? He initiates a delay. He initiates a deferment. In fact, he says, we need to do something. I need to send you out for 40 years. Because you see, sometimes there's some lessons that we can only learn in the desert of our lives. There's some lessons that are so deep that we can only learn them in the anvil of isolation of the wilderness. I want you to understand this principle that delays are actually opportunities to develop your faith. If you're going through some kind of delay in your life right now, if you're going through some kind of deferment in your dream, as it were, right now, I want you to receive this as an opportunity to develop your faith. Because that's exactly what we see in this story. God said, look, there's these people, my children, my people, they just do not have enough faith. They need to go. And here is where they're going to learn to develop faith necessary to face giants. So here's the question, though. What is it that God would have us do, though? So here's the lesson. I mean, you know, delays or opportunities to develop faith. Okay, fine. But what is it that we are to be doing when we are in the desert? I want to look at two stories, two examples that we see took place when God sent them into the desert. But here's the first principle. Here's what you do when you're in the desert. You learn to obey God and follow him in the delays of your life. So if you're experiencing some kind of delay right now, I want you to focus on this. I want you to ask yourself this question. Learn to obey God and follow him in the delays of your life. I want to invite you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 9, verse 16. Numbers chapter 9, verse 16. I'm going to read it in your hearing. It says, So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Wherever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey. 
And in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. Now, do you see what's taking place here? They are in the desert, and God wants to teach them faith. And so here's what he does. He is constantly on the move. He can't be pinned down. In fact, in that same chapter, a little extra credit homework for you for this afternoon. Read that whole chapter later this afternoon. And it tells, it says that sometimes that pillar of fire by night, it would stop in one place. And then the next morning, as it became a pillar of cloud, it would rise up and it would get ready to be on the move. In other words, sometimes the Israelites would only camp out for one night. So listen to me, church. Don't miss this lesson. The sole and complete, the, the solitary responsibility of the Israelites, of the people of God, was this. When they got up in the morning, this is the only thing they were supposed to do. Is, is, the, is the cloud still there? Their job was to watch the cloud and follow it. That's it. I'm sorry, I know that was way too complicated. Did, did you guys catch that? I mean, the, their only responsibility as they woke up in the morning, their job was to watch the cloud and follow it. The Bible says sometimes it would stay in place for a week. Sometimes the presence of God would be there for a few months. Sometimes it was there for a year. In other words, it was completely, God's presence was completely unpredictable. They could not rely on some kind of pattern that they could discern. They could not rely on some kind of strategy that they could extrapolate. All they had to do was stay completely focused on this symbolic presence of Jesus. And when God moved... Okay. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, church. It's time to move because God is a move. No discernible pattern. No discernible direction. God was training them to follow him. God was to be their purpose. God was to be their pattern. God was to be their strategy. God was to be their strength. God was to be their leader. Learning to follow and obey God was the strategy, church. Let me say that again for those in the back. Y'all are awfully quiet. Learning to follow God and obey Him was their only strategy. God wanted them to learn that that was the strategy, nothing else. For 40 years, I wake up in the morning, is the, cl is, the cl is the cloud moving? Okay, it's time for us to move. You see, delays are opportunities to develop our faith. But notice what else they did while they were in the desert. Notice the second principle here. 
Learn to trust God as he provides for you. So two things that they were doing in the desert. Number one, they were learning to follow the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day and to obey God and just follow him. The second thing is they were learning to trust God as he provided for them. I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Notice this fascinating story beginning in verse 11. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. Verse 14, And when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, Manna. What is it? That's what manna means. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Again, fascinating. So God is needing to build a people that have faith strong enough to face giants. And so he trains them. He wants them to get in the muscle memory of their faith to follow him. But he also says, while you are stepping out in faith and while you are following me, I'm going to provide for you every single day for 40 years so that you can have certainty and complete confidence that I'm the creator God, you're the creature, and I'm the provider, and I'm going to take care of you. Every single day for 40 years. In fact, I want you to notice there's these three distinct miracles that God did every single week for 40 years. Number one, he sent fresh manna every day. Now, that's pretty cool in and of itself, right? But notice, secondly, another miracle that he did, he made impossible to store overnight. You remember the story for those of you that have read it? What would happen if they tried to store? Because God said, no, no, no. All you're supposed to do is just get enough for today. That's it. Tomorrow, you're going to go back and you're going to get a little more. What would happen if they tried to store more for the second day? What would happen, church? Yeah, the Bible says that it would spoil I mean, evidently, you know, some of these uh, Israelites at the beginning did like kind of some of us during the pandemic, right? Just like cleaning the place out with toilet paper, getting all the flour, getting, right? We're like, I don't know if we're going to see this again. I'm taking it while I, ha- while I can. So apparently the Israelites were like, hey, this, this is amazing. I mean, the Bible says that this bread tastes like wafers and honey. So some good, high quality, good tasting bread, apparently. But God said, no, 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 I'm going to do something. I'm going to make it impossible to store so that you will learn to trust in me completely. You're going to have to come back every single day. That's it. And the third miracle he did every single week is finally on Friday, on the day of preparation, they were supposed to gather twice as much, you know the story, so that on the Sabbath they could just breathe. They could worship. They could acknowledge their creator God and be in relationship. They don't have to worry about 
providing for themselves. So every single week, three miracles that God did. So on, on, on Friday, right, God reversed that, and all of a sudden he made it possible to store for at least one night so they could have it on Sunday. See, delays are opportunities to develop your faith. And I wonder if there's some of you that are in the midst of that desert place right now. I wonder if there's some of you that are in that delay phase. You feel like you've been waiting for your turn, but your turn seemingly does not come. You've been waiting for the internship, but it has gone to pieces. You thought you were going to take over the business, but the retirement never happens. You thought you were going to get the promotion, but you've just been sitting around. Some of you are in that desert phase of your life. But for others of you, maybe you feel like you've actually been passed up. You're in a different place in your life. And maybe you feel like you didn't actually accomplish anything that significant. You weren't able to do that much for God. You feel like the ship has sailed and it's not coming back. It's not just that you're waiting, but it's already gone. You feel like. And for some of you, maybe you're a little bit more experienced in years, as evidenced by, you know, gray and white hair. I have a few gray hairs, finally myself. And maybe some of you are feeling like that as well. I'm going to share with you this quote by Pastor Dwight L. Moody that really has encouraged me, and hopefully it's going to encourage you. Notice what he says. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years learning he was nobody, and 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Let's keep it on the screen for just a moment. Notice what Pastor Moody is saying here. So here is the first 40 years of his life, Moses getting the best education known to man at the time. He was the prince of Egypt. Life was good. But he had been revealed to God that he was going to be used by God to liberate the people. And of course, you might remember the story. He decided, he thought that liberate the people and to lead the people meant to literally take things into his own hands. And so you know the story. He ended up killing a man. So God said, okay. Moses has misunderstood a little bit. He doesn't have the requisite faith and humility that I need to work with someone. I've got to send him into the desert. So it says for 40 years he was a nobody. For 40 years he was wandering around with sheep trying to avoid all of their plops as it were. And he's just walking around there. Until finally, church, at the age of 80, church, he had learned to stop looking at himself and he finally learned to look up. God said, there's a certain school of Christ. There's a certain school that I need Moses to go through. And after he has gone through that really special schooling, then he will be ready. 
Maybe you're 25 years old and you're saying, I, I don't know if God can use me. Maybe you're 40 years, years old saying, I don't know if God can use me. Maybe you're 80 years old. Maybe you feel like God has already done what he's going to do in my life. Church, I've got some really good news for you. It wasn't until Moses was 80 years old that finally... When he stopped looking for his own name in lights, finally, God said, now I can use you to lead a congregation of one million people. I love how Ellen White puts this story and describes it. She says, in slaying the Egyptian, Moses had fallen into the same error so often committed by his fathers of taking into their own hands the work that God had promised to do. There were other lessons that amid the solitude of the mountains, Moses was to receive. In the school of self-denial and hardship, he was to learn patience to temper his passions. Before he could govern wisely, he must be trained to obey. His own heart must be fully in harmony with God before he could teach the knowledge of his will to Israel. By his own experience, he must be prepared to exercise a fatherly care over all who needed his help. Could I share with you, let me share with you just kind of a final observation. Is that God sometimes in a personal way sends us into the desert. And that desert is an opportunity to grow in our faith. Some, that's what we see in the example of Moses. He said, Moses, for you, I need to spend some time out in the desert. But I want you to notice as well, please don't miss this, that sometimes, God sometimes sends movements or a people corporately into the desert. That's exactly what he did with the Israelites as well. So not only was Moses lacking the requisite faith initially, but the Israelites were corporately lacking the requisite faith. He said, You've got to spend a little time in the desert. You see, these delays to our dream, our opportunities to develop our faith. But church, can I just briefly share something with you just plainly? Is that okay? I hesitated with whether or not I should share this last night. I was talking to my dear wife, Yvette. I was like, I don't know if I should share this. Let me share this. Three quotes. Let's put the first one on the screen there. The long night of gloom is trying, but the morning is deferred in mercy. Because if the master should come, so many would be found unready. Here's Ellen White. Founder, one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, one of the leaders in this movement. And she's talking about now right after 1844. And what we find happening in the early 1800s is this interdenominational movement called the Second Great Awakening in which the Holy Spirit was being poured out on many denominations, on many peoples. And they were going out and missionaries were being sent out all over the world. 
read the next two. It says, had Adventists after the great disappointment in 1844 held fast their faith and followed on unitedly in the opening providence of God, receiving the message of the third angel and in the power of the Holy Spirit proclaiming it to the world, they would have seen the salvation of God. The Lord would have wrought mightily with their efforts. The work would have been completed and Christ would have come ere this to receive his people to their reward. It was not the will of God that the coming of Christ should be thus delayed. Let me read one more for you. Forty years did un- for 40 years did unbelief, murmuring, and rebellion shut out ancient Israel from the land of Canaan. The same sins have delayed the entrance of modern Israel into the heavenly Canaan. In neither case were the promises of God at fault. It is the unbelief, the worldliness, unconsecration, and strife among the Lord's professed people that have kept us in this world of sin and sorrow so many years. So what we know through our history is that in, in, you know, Ellen White herself talks about that, you know, we were preaching the law so much that we were dry as the hills of Gilboa. All of a sudden, we have this 1888 movement and this message of righteousness by faith was being spread out. It was this kind of new awakening. And I reached out to a friend of mine, Dr. Michael Campbell, is a religion professor in Southwestern Adventist University, expert in the writings of Ellen White. I said, I said Michael, help me out with this. And here's what he helped me to understand. It's not that God had to come at that time, but God could have come at that time. Did you catch that? Ellen White is here saying, it's not that he had to, but he could have. But his people, they weren't ready. Not yet. Because if now happens, too many will be lost. Not yet. And let me just say this, and I'm going to make an invitation. COVID-19. I believe God allowed this to happen as a kind of wake-up call to the church. I do. I could be wrong. I'm open to that. But I believe that God allowed this to happen. He says, look, I I need my modern day church, every single one of us. They're not quite where they need to be. I need to send them into the desert. I need them to be disoriented. I need their schedules to be messed up a little bit. I need them to be off of work a little bit for those of you that were off of work. And so here's what I think the lesson is. These delays are opportunities to develop your faith. Hopefully you didn't miss it. But if you did kind of miss the boat there a little bit and you didn't take advantage of spending more time with God and getting into the habit of personal devotions and looking for Jesus and following him, guess what? There's still time because this thing is still around. I want to make an invitation to you for all those here locally and for all those watching online. You know, we believe that there's some kind of next step that everybody can make every single week here at Pioneer. So here's three next steps that I'm going to put on your lap. I'm going to offer to you. Number one, 
Maybe your next step today, maybe you're saying, I need a prayer for patience while I am waiting. I need a prayer for patience while I am waiting. If, the, if that's you today here locally or for those watching online, just raise your hand wherever you are. Just raise your hand if you're saying, God, I, I need patience. I'm in the desert right now. I'm waiting. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Maybe your next step today is you're saying, I want to obey God and follow him in all the areas of my life. If that's you today, for those watching online, if you want to assent to that today, just raise your hand wherever you are. Say, God, in all areas of my life, I'm in this desert time. Help me to learn the lessons that you want me to learn. I want to be you in all areas of my life. Amen. Finally, here's one more. I know every single one of us can agree to this one. I want to be ready when Jesus comes. I want to say, I want to be ready. I want to be ready for those watching online. I'm going to say, oh, just raise your hand. I know you're there with your family, with your friends. Maybe you're by yourself. Just raise your hand. I want to be ready. Amen. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your patience. I thank you for the time that you've given us. And oh, Father, I just pray that this would not be wasted time for us. I pray that you would draw close and touch every single person that raised their hands today, for those gathered locally as well as for those watching online. Because the bottom line, Father, is I think all of us have this sense that you are coming soon. Help us to do everything that we can do, that we're supposed to do. Help us to get into that habit of following you wheresoever you lead us. And we now commit ourselves once again into your hands, and we thank you. For we do pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.